John Newton's testimony recently and just reminded of, you know, this man who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, probably one of the most famous Christian songs of all time, and how he was a slave trader, and that's a horrible thing that he yeah. was in charge of slave, slave ships from um, Africa to England. But then also, you know, I read recently that he, he also participated in raping some of those slave girls, yeah. which is just horrible. Yeah. Like, so horrible. And yet he then turned to Jesus stopped doing that for a little while and then unfortunately backslid back into that sin. And then after that, that's when he turned back to Jesus and that's when he wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound. It's after it's when he really comprehended backslid and came back that he understood who Jesus was. And so that was really, I feel like I had a similar journey. podcast. It's great to have you along. Today we're interviewing Joel Deacon, who is a community pastor at Melbourne's City on a Hill Church. And he begins by telling us about his relationship with God uh, during his childhood and teenage years. I actually remember a time when I was like six years old and I was at primary school and someone gave me this rubber, like a you know, racer that said, God loves you. And uh, I remember going home to mum and saying, hey mum, this is great news, God loves me. Who is he? And, uh, and mum didn't really know what the answer there in life because she was a bit unsure. And, uh, but then I was later, I think, I, was, I think that was when I was in high school, I was 12, 13 years old, uh, and there was just a girl that I liked and she went to youth group, you know, church for teenagers, and she invited me along. And, uh, and that was when I got to hear about Jesus and hear the Bible uh, taught to me. And yeah, that girl dumped me, uh, but then I, then I met Jesus and he didn't dump me. So that was really nice. Charlie, you grew up in a household where Christianity and the morals of it were accepted, but perhaps Jesus wasn't taken so seriously. How did your household take it, and your parents specifically, once you decided to take Jesus seriously? Uh, I felt pretty good about it. I think, you know, they was happy to see that I was at youth group on a Friday night and, you know, not getting home and um, doing get up to some mischief uh, with my other friend, and so... Uh, morally, they were just pretty happy about that. And then, obviously, as the Lord, as Jesus was changing my heart, I think they were uh, thankful for that. And yet, they didn't necessarily they wanted me to talk talk to them about Jesus, or they had no interest in coming along to church or talking to talking to me about it. So it's a bit weird, right? It's like you go through this amazing emotional journey where you, you grow to understand who Jesus is and how good it is to follow Him, and you can't you can't share that with people you love. And so that was difficult. And yet at the same time, I think it also matured me and matured my faith because I had to choose to follow Jesus even when the people around me didn't. Joel, what advice would you give to younger Christians or any Christians uh, for that matter who live in a household whose uh, family perhaps accept the morals of Christianity but I guess don't accept uh, Jesus as their king? I think just, you know, the words of Jesus is, is, is love people incredibly well, especially your family. Like your family know you better than anyone else. And they've seen you in flaws, your warts, your scar, like they've, uh, especially for me, they, they knew how wretched of a man I was, a teenager I was. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I was a brat, I was proud, I was arrogant, I was uh, unappreciative, ungrateful. And so I, I feel like now I, I have many more gospel conversations and opportunities to talk about 
faith and, and meaning in life with my family now because I know how much I love them and respect them yeah. and they respect me. And, yeah, I think before I earned that respect, all I was doing was being a brat, trying to convince them of I'm right and you're wrong. Um, I, I think you get a lot of people well. It doesn't mean you don't invite them to things. It doesn't mean you don't talk about Jesus when you have opportunities. You take those opportunities. You try and create them. But I think with your family, you just got to pray a lot and you've got to, you got to love more probably than other people. Parents whose, whose kid then becomes a Christian, they must uh, feel a bit challenged in one sense because, you're, as you said, you know, they have seen all your flaws and all your tantrums and all your pettiness and arrogance and those sorts of things. And then you come around and go, yeah, I'm a Christian now. You should you should um, take it seriously too. It must be a, be a bit weird for a parent, I think, in that situation. Yeah, yeah, it is, definitely. And I think as you'd be aware as well, like um, uh, I think it's, it's easy for them to take credit and to be like, oh, no, that's not Jesus. That's just me being a good parent. <laughs> <laughs> and the last thing you want to do is be like, actually, no, you're a horrible parent. Jesus is what's through my heart. Yeah. Oh, that's, not, that's not respectful. Yeah. Or, or even true. I mean, I, I find that hard not to do now. I mean, you know, anything good my kid does, it's like, yeah, man, I'm a good dad. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, totally, right? Yeah, but any of the bad stuff that comes from his mother, that's... Uh... <laughs> So you become a Christian. What were some of the hardships that you faced? Yeah, man, like, um, like to be honest with you, I, I feel very blessed. I feel blessed in that, yeah, I am yet to go through any, any um, physical suffering that's that intense or financial or anything. Like, I feel like God's been very kind to me in many ways. Uh, I think probably in terms of for my, own, my own journey, what, what's been... Well, the lessons I've learned is I became a Christian when I was 16. Yeah. And, you know, because I grew up not following Jesus, you know, I was quite worldly. There's just a lot of uh, sins in my life that, and addictions that I hadn't overcome. And, you know, as soon as you start following Jesus, you don't necessarily become like him immediately, right? Like, yeah. It's this yeah. journey of, uh, of laying down sins and killing it before it kills you. And, you know, I was still quite selfish. I was in particular addicted to uh, pornography. And that stayed with me for a while until I was about 20 years old. And so, and when I was about twenty, that was a moment where the Lord just really humbled me about sin. And uh, yeah, my my wife at the time, sorry, my wife now, who at the time was my, my my girlfriend, found out about it. And I just remember how disgusted she was at that sin, and uh, that was like a rock bottom moment for me, where it's like, hey, I follow Jesus, and yet, yet I still have this sin to tangle my life. Um, mm. yeah, but also, it was a good reminder of how of a wretched man I am. And that was just so helpful for me to, for the Lord to reveal that sin to me and then for me to repent and shine that light into darkness. That radically changed my life. Because yeah. then all of a sudden this gospel was not just good news, it was, man, it was radically mind-blowing news that this God loves me because I don't deserve it. Like I, I, um, I read about John Newton's testimony recently and just reminded of, you know, this man who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, probably one of the most famous Christian songs of all time. And how he was a slave trader, and that's a horrible thing that he yeah, was in charge yeah. of slave, slave ships from um, Africa to England. But then also, you know, I read recently that he, he also participated in raping some of those slave girls, yeah. which is just horrible. Yeah. Like, so horrible. And yet he then turned to Jesus, stopped doing that for a little while, and then unfortunately backslid back into that sin. And then after that, that's when he turned back to Jesus, and that's when he wrote Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound! It's after it's when he really comprehended, backslid, and came back that he understood who Jesus was. And so that was really—I feel like I had a similar journey, not so severe as him, but 
I was thankful for that. Because um, one of the things I realized was Jesus is my Savior, but He's my Lord, and the gospel is incredible news. And then I think for me, man, my journey since then is just just learning what it looks like to follow Jesus and taking radical steps of faith. Like I got married at 21, young like you were. I had kids like you, same thing, pretty young, like I was 23 when I had my first son. And and then, yeah, quit my job to become a pastor. That was a big step of faith. Left Sydney to come to Melbourne to join a church. So like, the, like everyone else, right, just trusting the unknown, stepping into the, the future with faith, knowing that, hey, the Lord will provide for me. You know, at uni and getting married, the Lord will provide for me when I'm young and suddenly have children. The Lord will provide for me when I leave my job to go study to be a pastor. The Lord will provide. Yeah, and I know he's good, but it's not easy, right? It's a yeah. challenge. It's, that's, and that's where faith lies. Joel, I'm thankful for your honesty in the area of pornography and your struggles with it. What advice would you give now to a person who is perhaps stuck uh, in that continual cycle of pornography and can't get out of it? Yeah, I think um, I, I really like the quote by, I think it's, um, I'm pretty confusing, I'm pretty sure it's John Owen, uh, yeah, kill sin before it kills you. I think being aware of like just, I think sometimes we can get used to sin, get comfortable in it, and uh, allow it to sit in our life, and not just be aware of its its damages and its consequences. That's not just the same for pornography, but greed or yeah. selfishness. You know, like I love um, C.S. Lewis. He's got a great book called The Great Divorce, where he talks about that uh, in hell, people just become worse versions of themselves forever. And I think the reality is, is sometimes we just forget that pornography is just so harmful to your soul. Like, it just really does um, degrade your understanding of women, really does degrade your understanding of God, and it's just not helpful, you know? It's, and so I think the one thing is just it's just reminding yourself of the reality that this is just not good for you. It's just like, you know, when you watch people smoke, you know, a pack of cigarettes a day, and you're just like, what are you doing? It, like, or you just see someone, I don't know, like, it's just like seeing someone walk onto the busy road and there's a bus crossing. You're just like, this is just dumb. And yeah. so I think just being aware that not only is this sinful and the Lord doesn't want it for you, and, and which is also very important for you to know that and repent of that because he's, he's God, but also to just know that what you're doing is just dumb and just doesn't bring you joy and doesn't help your future relationships or you now. I think yeah. that's helpful to know. I think most importantly what's helpful to know is, you know, what's going to change your heart is the is the positive motivation that despite your filth and sin and addiction that Jesus still loves you and that Jesus wants to help you and can help you. Uh, but the way he also helps you is in community. Yeah, I think there's a reason why we're saved and that we have the church, right, is so that we can kill sin together. And Bonhoeffer talks about that, doesn't he, Mike? I guess bringing sin out into the light is such an effective yeah. thing to be doing. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so helpful, so mm. helpful. Yeah, like I love that Bonhoeffer quote where he says that sin wants you in isolation. Yeah. Right? Um, that's where it wants to stay and that's where it wants you to stay. And yet that's tricky, that's hard, right, because that, that entails confession, that entails vulnerability, that entails asking for help. And yet until you do that, you won't be able to heal, you won't be able to overcome, you won't be able to uh, defeat many addictions in this life. Yeah. Yeah, my encouragement would be, hey, I know this, I know this sucks, but get it out of the light. Get it out of the light. Yeah, get your brothers and sisters praying for you, helping you, checking in on you. We'll jump forward a few more years. You worked a number of years as an engineer, but you made the decision to leave that job and go to Bible College at SMBC. Yeah, I think so. When, um, when I overcame that, like that, when I was told into that um, addiction of pornography and got shine light into that, 
it just radically changed my life. Yeah. Like I went from someone who's good at math, hated reading, hated public speaking. Uh, I was one of those stats of people who'd rather die than speak in public. <laughs> um, to uh, I was reading the Bible, I was reading any book I could get my hand on, and then also through youth ministry, which you and I did together, um, you know, I had an opportunity to talk and speak and share what I was learning. And I just found joy in just serving God and just caring for people, loving people. And so I think as that, as that part of my heart was just growing, expanding, um, and then I was doing engineering, and I loved engineering as well. I loved work. I loved creating projects and building things, just problem solving. I loved befriending people and talking to them about Jesus. But I then went to America. I was blessed to go on a holiday with Emma, my wife, and we went to a Christian conference. And the speaker there just did a simple talk on Ecclesiastes, which is basically like, hey, life is short. And the big question is asking is, how are you going to glorify God in your life? Like, like what does God want you to do personally? Does he want you to flourish and be an evangelist and work for Jesus? Or does he want you to give that up and, um, and go to serve in the ministry? And uh, I don't believe everyone should, should go be a pastor or be a missionary, but I just felt like the Lord has had been putting in my heart, hey, I think I want you to do this. And so uh, that was just a moment of me going, you know what, I don't live forever, life is short. Um, concrete and steel is fun, but I think God wants me to go and care for people and try and share the gospel with my family and people like me who don't know Jesus and, you know, their lives changed. Uh, Joel, I was wondering if at all you could share the story of how you proposed to your wife, Emma, um, and also, I guess, what being a father is like and, and what the deacon household looks like a little bit now. I <laughs> propose. Uh, at this beach in the central coast at Avoca Beach, uh, which is dear to my heart. It's a really beautiful place. Yeah, I had a, had a plan, and she's she's all right through it. She's gracious. Uh, I remember I was on this, like, uh, rock edge. Is anyone fisherman on? And I was just about to get on my knee, uh, and then this guy stood his tackle box, just, like, all over the place. I was like, come on, man. <laughs> and the sun was going down. And I made a mistake. 
I just that was such a like a, like a powerful lesson for me because I haven't like cultivated that in him. Like yep. I was just full of praise. I was full of you've done an amazing job. I'm so proud of you. And yet, what I saw in his heart was just this high standard for himself, which only he recognised and no one else cared about. And I think that was a powerful moment for me because I realised that I'm like that. But so often in life, I worry or think about a mistake or something I've said, which no one else even recognised. Mm. And um, and actually, our Heavenly Father, I feel like he's the exact same thing. He looks at us. He's like, yeah, I know you made a mistake, but I still love you so much that you don't even understand that. And I found that a helpful reminder of the gospel that, yeah, we make mistakes, but to God, they're, they're barely anything, that he's so kind and gracious to us and that he loves us more than we know. And so don't cry, like, but just trust in your God. And, and I just found that really helpful. Yeah, and there's a big difference, isn't there, between a mistake and and a sin as well and, and not doing things God's yeah. way, isn't there? Uh, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, so obviously, I think maybe, obviously, yeah, the difference between that dance mistake and a sin we make. But yeah. sometimes, you know, it's a sin, like we, like we sin and we repent and we say sorry to God and yet we still, like, grovel on that. We still think about that a lot and again, feel condemned by it. Where I feel like our father's like, hey, I love you, I've forgiven you. The, the blood of Jesus washed you clean. And yeah, too often we don't recognise how much God loves us. And I love that, you know, that passage in Ephesians where Paul prays for the Ephesian church that, that the, the Holy Spirit may strengthen their inner being so they may comprehend more of the love of God. Like the love of God is so big for us that we can't even comprehend it. Like that just blows my mind. So just to round off that story, did you end up forgiving Elijah for making that mistake? <laughs> <laughs> well, he actually ended up, uh, that, was the, that was the uh, audition. He ended up going into the, the show. Yeah. Uh, and he did great, and he was hoping he'd win it, but he came, he came fourth. City on a hill in Melbourne. Can you tell us a bit uh, about what life's like uh, being a community pastor at that church? Yeah. Um, the, church, yeah the church I'm a pastor is called City on a Hill, and so it started 12, no, 13 years ago in a pub, which is pretty cool, and to try and reach people in the CBD of Melbourne in a city where there's not many really good churches. And uh, since then, God has been really kind to, uh, to sit on Hill, and we've seen many people come to know Jesus, and it's grown. Uh, we moved out of the pub and then moved into a uh, movie cinema, at, uh, Hoyt's Movie Cinema, cinema at a shopping centre, and then also the churches planted other churches throughout Australia, in Brisbane and Geelong, and, and more in Melbourne. And so I joined the team about two years ago, uh, and so it's, it's, such a, it's a joy to be, be a part of the team. Mate. It's uh, a big church now. Uh, like even the Melbourne campus where I'm a pastor is, um, we have over a thousand people um, come to church every Sunday, um, and it's just different, right? Like doing church in a cinema when you get, after the service is done, you go down and have a coffee in the food court, um, and you're not sometimes not too sure who's from church and who's not. It's just a, a yeah, different type of ministry. Uh, it's fast paced because when you're in the CBD, people like move in and out pretty quickly compared to maybe the suburbs or country town where people are probably there for a lot longer. Yeah, like my main role, or not my main role, one of my big roles though is looking after what we call small groups at church. It's like when people gather in their house throughout the week and we have about 50 of these groups and my role is to find leaders and I've got to constantly find new leaders because we just have unfortunately people come and go or uh, it's, it's a challenge and yet, uh, yeah, God's good throughout it and I've learned lots and still learning. But it's like how do you do, it's like doing pastoral ministry and fast forward at times. Yeah, it's a different type of pastoral ministry, that's for sure, in the city yeah. context. How has the church received in Melbourne? Has there been much pushback at all or any uh, anti Christian sentiment? Yeah, it's um, I expected a lot more, uh, 
that uh, to be honest with you i think maybe uh possibly because the city in itself is so big it's like there's still like it's just such a big cbd in itself really there's still a definitely like a like an openness to to church yeah doing what they do and so i think we haven't really come across much hostility but also i think what a secular culture like melbourne really appreciates is uh, people that care for other people and so I think as a church we've seen a lot of fruit we have a homeless ministry uh, called many rooms where uh, yeah we feed the homeless on Friday nights and Saturday mornings and so I think the fact that we do stuff for the community uh, really gives a lot of credibility uh, and so I think that's that's helpful in, in, in that space I think where I, like I said my church experience or Melbourne experience is based around the CBD where I work or the churches and then where I live out east a little bit yeah and out east uh, they call it the Bible Belt, and yeah, it's not that really much of a Bible Belt. <laughs> um, but I think like here and there, they're just uh, they're moral people. Majority of them, they probably don't have conservative views, uh, but they're not necessarily anti the church. Yeah, yeah, they're just probably more agnostic towards it, or just yeah, yeah, yeah. but are quite friendly people. And so I, I do feel like though, at the same time, the hardest is plentiful in Melbourne. I've uh, had lots of gospel opportunities and just friendships. I, I do feel like Melbourne's a great city that's quite friendly and so yeah I, i'm excited about Sydney being here and the work we're doing but yeah i think it's a good lesson for just for the church in general right like we're called to not only talk about the love of jesus but to share it and um i think that's really important and yes i'm thankful that we're doing our best to, to, to do that uh we can do better so that we're doing what we can joel i'm on your blog at the moment joeldeacon.com and there's a number of tips regarding uh, reading and encouraging Christians to pick up books. Uh, is there a must-read book that you have uh, as a recommendation that all Christians should pick up and try and work their way through, other, other than the Bible? Any final thoughts or pearls of wisdom you can share with us uh, here at the Little Picture? And thank you, Heats, for coming on. Oh, I think my final thoughts to anyone and everyone is like, hey, if you're uh, if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I encourage you to check him out. Um, he is good. He is gracious. He is kind. Um, he has the offer of eternal life, but also life to the full now. And yeah, my, I guess if anything you learn from my story is that God is good, and that when you take steps of faith, He's there, that He loves and He's for you. You know, I love, I think John Piper says that the greatest gift in this world that God can give you is not health, it's not wealth, it's not a successful career, it's not fame, it's not a big house, but it's actually himself. to the little picture podcast if you liked what you heard please subscribe and give us a five-star review on whatever podcast platform you're listening on uh, also check out our facebook page and like and follow us there uh, here at the little picture we are all about hearing the stories of ordinary christians as they serve an extraordinary god until next time goodbye